Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm presents Bookburners, Season 4, Episode 9. One. Magic apocalypse or not, Sal thought, it still takes forever to get your bags at JFK. The airport was, as ever, under construction. With a new bit of the terminal meeting an old bit of the terminal meeting stretches of exposed drywall. The two hours getting through customs were almost soothing in their familiarity, a procedural ticker tape parade to welcome her back to New York. Even if the officer did have a lot more questions for them than usual, when she saw that Sal and Manchu were coming from London. Yes, we have been in contact with magic. No, we don't appear to have been infected. No, we have no extra appendages. That last one was a joke, the customs officer said. Ha Sal said. Manchu didn't so much as crack a smile. Detective Collins was waiting for Sal and Manchu outside the terminal, leaning against a gray Crown Victoria. He shot Sal an enormous smile and put his arms out, ready for a hug. You know you're not fooling anyone with this car, Sal said. Only cops drive these things. Cops or ex-cops, Collins said. I like to keep them on their toes. He wrapped his arms around her, patted her on the back like she was family. It's been too long, he said. Yeah, Sal said. It has. You're looking good, thinner. They got me running. Also, I stopped eating meat. You? Yeah, I saw a couple things a while back that turned me off, Colin said. You cut your hair. Not on purpose. So they got you on the NYPD magic squad now, Sal said. Collins chuckled. It's new enough that they haven't even figured out what to call it yet, but yeah, magic squad. Makes sense now that we're seeing an uptick in cases. And they assigned you to it? I volunteered, Colin said. After what happened with you and your brother, I just couldn't quite get it off my mind. How is your brother, by the way? I don't know, Sal wanted to say, but didn't. He's okay, she said. Hanging in there? Aren't we all? Colin said. 
They left the airport and were instantly stuck in traffic on the Belt Parkway. Another thing that never changed. How are you all doing around here? Sal said. You mean with the magic? Colin said. Ah, oh, not bad. We've seen some things, for sure. And nothing like what you've seen over in London, I bet, but we've got our share. There's a building in Jackson Heights that's turned into a, well, a foot is the best we can make out, though who knows where the rest of the body is. There's a spot under the FDR where things don't come out once they go in. And we see our people who have changed or who have been changed. I don't know how to say it, but you know what I mean. Not only melted arms or extra eyes, people that just seem off, like they spent a minute in the microwave or something. Like drugs, but different, Sal said. Right, Colin said. Oh, you hit it on the head. It's different, but it's like something we've seen before, you know? It's new, but it's not. He wiped his mouth with his hand. I don't know. Right after London, when the first few things happened around here, the press had a field day with it. Everyone was scared. But within a week or so, the Post and the Daily News were putting puns in the headlines again. You know how it is. People can't be on high alert forever. Eventually, even if the church on the corner is made of hair and your sister's an ostrich, you still gotta make rent on the first of the month. Sal laughed. What? Colin said. Nothing, Sal said. It's just good to see you. It's good to be here. A white Lexus sedan cut in front of them, and Collins laid on the horn. You'd think, with all the magic going around, someone would whip us up another westbound highway out of JFK, but no, Collins said. In the stop traffic, he turned to Sal and Menchu. You need a nap? Uh, a cup of coffee? Menchu shook his head. No, we're all right, Sal said. Okay, Collins said, because we only have one exit to go. What's our first stop? Menchu asked. The morgue, Colin said. The medical examiner pulled out the drawer supporting the body of Eduardo Zumpop like she'd had a long day. She peeled the sheet away. Sal saw Manchu take a small step back. The face looked as if parts of it had been turned to clay and then pressed down upon. Other parts looked half liquid, and she was seeing it as it ran, oozed, resettled. It looked less like a face and more like a child's drawing of a face. She compared it to the photograph of Zumpop that Collins had handed her. There was almost no connection. How did she know it was him? Sal said. That's the interesting thing, the examiner said. When the body first came in here, he was entirely recognizable. In fact, aside from the fact that he was dead, it was hard to tell there was anything wrong with him. What's the cause of death? Sal said. Besides hocus pocus? Colin said, the best we have is cardiac arrest right now because it most fits what we see, but we know, of course, that it didn't occur naturally. Especially given what's happening to him now, the examiner said. And what would you say that is? Menchu said. The examiner looked Menchu in the eye. Please don't think I'm callous for saying this, but the best analogy I can come up with is that he's melting like a piece of wax. Every day I need to check on him because every day there's a little more to clean up. It's not just soft tissue either. The bones are softening up fast too. If this rate of deterioration continues, I think in a week or so we'll just have a kind of pudding here. Again, I'm sorry, I can't think of a better way to say it. It's okay, Menchu said. Sal realized he was almost consoling the doctor. Have you seen this before? Colin said. 
Specifically this kind of liquefaction? No, Sal said, but changing form? Yeah, all the time, that's what makes it seem like magic. The medical examiner blinked. I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're right, she said. I've had bodies that have turned papery, bodies that have become plants, bodies that burst into bunches of feathers. I suppose I was getting hung up on the details, but the details are irrelevant, maybe. It's the change that matters. I think so, Sal said. Are you saying we're changing the cause of death? Collins asked the medical examiner. I'm saying it's worth putting something in the notes about what happens to the body after death, she said. A new category, magical metamorphosis? Works for me, Collins said. Sal was feeling more and more at home. So, other than knowing someone struck him dead with magic, she said, there are no more clues on the body as to who might have done it? Collins shook his head. Nothing we could find. What about his apartment? That's our next stop, Collins said. Hope you see something we didn't. The apartment building on the corner of a busy intersection loomed dark with soot, prickly with fire escapes that had been painted over too many times. The lock on the front door was busted. The window on the first landing of the staircase was foggy and cracked, the glass held in place by the wires shot through it. Sal noticed Manchu was looking at the tiles on the floor. This was a nice place, once, Manchu said. Weren't they all, Collins said. They took the stairs to the second floor, and Collins pointed down the hallway. There, he said, where are the doors open? Hip-hop pounded from a radio. Collins raised his voice. Ronaldo, you in there? Yeah, we're both here, a voice yelled back. Come on in. Sal, Manchu, and Collins stepped into a three-bedroom apartment that was even farther away from seeing good days than the lobby was. A smell of mold from the bathroom wafted through everything, over the smell of dirty laundry from one of the bedrooms, pot smoke from another. In the living room at the end of the hall, they found Reynaldo, a skinny young man sprawled on a red couch, the only furniture in the room, playing a video game with the sound turned down low. Another man sat on the floor, talking on his phone. He sounded annoyed. These are Eduardo's roommates, Collins said. They've been very helpful. Sal recognized the sign on the third door on the left, the one the police put up to explain to the neighbors that it was a crime scene that they should keep out. Collins donned rubber gloves, then put his hand against the door. What? Sal said. Uh, it's not as warm as it used to be. He pushed the door open. Don't take more than a step in here, okay? Collins said. They entered Eduardo Zampop's room, or what was left of it. A foot or so beyond the doorway was still recognizable as a typical New York apartment. An old hardwood floor, white plaster walls, but then the floor got soupy. A breeze blew in from the open window on the other side of the room, and the floor rippled a little in response. A small flurry of tendrils grew out of the peaks of the waves, hovered in the air, and subsided. The walls around them sighed, leaned out from each other. That was when Sal realized there wasn't a ceiling. Over their heads was a night sky, not so much black as dark purple. Pink stars moved overhead like phosphorescent algae floating in a lazy current. Under the noise from the traffic outside, Sal was sure she could hear something else, something like animals calling, though they weren't the calls of animals she'd heard before. 
The pitches were either too high or too low, and they moved in strange patterns. You hear it too? Collins asked. For reasons that may be obvious, we haven't really been able to investigate this room thoroughly. You guys have anything for that? Uh, special suits or something? No, Manchu said. Historically, we were less interested in examining things than in containing them. Updated job description for you these days, huh? Collins asked. You could say that, Menchu said. The good news here, Sal said, is that it doesn't seem like there's much to examine. Right, Collins answered. As far as we can make out, Zampop paid rent here, but it doesn't seem all that lived in. You didn't have a bed, Sal said. Well, there wasn't one when we got here, Collins said, and there still isn't. No clothes, no nothing. Well, nothing except that he opened the portal to Wonderland through the ceiling. What about his roommates? They met him at a party just five days ago. He said he was looking for a room for real cheap. They had one after their previous roommate got busted for possession. Weed? Heroin. Zampop moved in here the next day. They said he always kept the door closed, and they only saw him coming or going a couple of times. Does that mean he was always in there or always out? Out, it sounds like. Collins said, or maybe you didn't have to take the stairs to leave the building, if you know what I'm saying. Collins smiled a little. Sal could tell he was enjoying his new bead. The roommate who had been on the phone passed in the hallway, ducked his head in through the door. I can't really let you do that, Collins said. There's still no ceiling in here, the roommate said. I know, Collins said. Does the landlord know? Well, I think he must since the super saw it. Oh, fuck. The roommate said, I'm moving out of here in two months, and I really need my security deposit back. You'll get it, Collins said. You don't know our landlord very well, do you? The roommate headed out of the door. From inside Zempop's room, they all heard the game sounds stop. Then Ronaldo appeared in the doorway. I kept waiting for Eduardo to leave so I could get a peek in here, Reynaldo said. He nodded toward Sal and Menchu. Are you two magic specialists? Like uh, Ghostbusters? Sort of, Sal said. Can I trust them like I trust you, Collins? You can trust all the crew who come here to carry out the investigation, Collins said. That's what you think, Reynaldo said. Okay, fine, Collins said. The biggest reason you can trust Sal here is because she knows what she's doing and she's an old partner of mine. And this guy, Arturo Menchu, Menchu said, is from the same country Zampop was from, which counts for a lot. Between the two of them and what we know already, I think we may be able to open up a fresh direction on this case. Can you help us? Reynaldo paused. All right, he said. Eduardo and I were together. I see, Colin said. Since when? Since five days ago. Not exclusively. But exclusive enough that he started renting this room from you. Exclusive enough that he told me a few things. Reynaldo said, first that he was here illegally and that he was staying out of the Guatemalan community, staying away from anyone who had any ties to where he had been. Why? At first he said it was because nobody there could keep up with him, which made sense. The way he was partying, I could hardly keep up with him myself. But then a couple of days later, he told me he was really doing it to protect his magic friends. He knew he wasn't going to be around much longer. He knew somebody was coming for him. And how did he know that? Collins said, um, Reynaldo said, I think it was the magic. 
And when you say magic friends, what does that mean? Sal said. You mean club kids? No, Reynaldo said. I mean other people who do spells. Not nearly as much as Eduardo was doing in here, I don't think, but, you know. He wiggled his fingers in the air. And you know where these magic friends of his are? You never told me, Reynaldo said. Sorry. Don't apologize, Sal said. You did a good thing telling us what you know. Reynaldo looked at the floor. I was wondering if you could do me a favor, he said. I know he doesn't have any real friends or family here, so he's gonna be buried to do wherever. Do you think I could see him first? Manchu put a hand on Reynaldo's shoulder. It's better if you don't. We can imagine many potential futures. Some serve as inspiration, others, warnings. Wondery offers one possibility of the future in their new show, The Last City. The year is 2072, and the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. You may not be on an elite team of investigators fighting the dangers of magic, but that doesn't mean you have to be defenseless when it comes to protecting your data online. Lucky for you, our partners at NordVPN know their way around the World Wide Web. VPN stands for Virtual Private Network, which creates a sort of encrypted tunnel while you're online, protecting your private data like bank details and passwords so you can browse safely wherever you are in the world. In addition to providing you with a high level of security online, my favorite use of NordVPN is to virtually switch my location so I can watch movies and shows that aren't currently available in my area. Plus, that way I can still access my favorite content when I'm traveling as well. I'm a fan of pretty much any British TV show, but they aren't always available in the US, so with NordVPN, I can virtually travel across the pond to enjoy my telly. NordVPN is also the fastest VPN in the world, and you can get all that speed, protection, and virtual locations for the price of just a coffee a month. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com bookburners. Our link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. You know, I'm a little relieved, Colin said to Sal when they were back out on the street. Half of me thought you were going to get off that plane in wizard robes, a magic wand in one hand and a crystal ball in the other. Bring Eduardo back to life and make him tell us who did it. Cast a spell and put his apartment back to normal. You thought you were going to be outgunned, Sal said. Pretty much, Colin said. I thought maybe watching your investigation was going to show me why the way we do our job is obsolete now. 
But it's not like that, is it? You're up to speed here. You've seen everything I have, and it just boils down to good old-fashioned police work. Yes, Menchu said. It does. Sal caught his glance, approving. Proud. But I'm glad you're both here. It's been a big help, clarifying. It seems to me that the next step is to talk to the people in the Guatemalan community and see what they know. Uh, Reynaldo says Zampop didn't spend any time with them, but I bet someone knows just enough to give us our lead in figuring out who his other friends were and why he was avoiding them. I'm happy to help any way I can, Manchu said. I'm counting on it, Colin said. We'll find these magic friends of his, Sal said, one way or the other. So, she saw Manchu's face change in a flash from calm to surprise. He was looking over her shoulder. She felt his hand on her back, pushing her down to the sidewalk, then felt him fall on top of her. A sound like a faraway jet engine cut through the air. A small heat wave passed over her with it, and then a window in front of her broke. Flames lit up inside the building. Manchu started to get up, scrambling for cover behind a few trash cans. Sal rolled, pulled out her pistol. Collins was already returning fire. She followed his gaze. There were three people halfway down the block striding toward them, one in a white coat, one with a red bandana on its head, the last one wearing bright blue shoes. Red, white, and blue, Sal thought. Welcome back to America. Blue's right hand was emitting smoke, and as Sal watched, she saw that it was starting to glow. Whatever had started the fire, she must have thrown it. Red broke into a run, and as he got closer, he got bigger blockier, heavier. It looked to Sal like his skin was starting to harden under his clothes, and she realized that if she waited too long, he might be bulletproof. Colin saw the same thing. The two cops made eye contact just long enough to give each other permission and started emptying their pistols into red. It was as Sal feared. The first couple bullets which she'd aimed at his legs to stop him from running made contact and bounced off. He kept coming. She saw that Collins had hit his stomach with a couple bullets, also to no effect. Sal had heard stories about things like this, about cops being charged at by people too hopped up on drugs to feel the bullets entering them, and then something more drastic had to be done. This was different, but it was the same, too. A family ran out onto the street from the apartment building behind them, a mother and three kids, screaming and panicking. They must have come from the apartment that was on fire. Menchie was already trying to usher them to safety by taking them across the street, around the corner, to put a building in between them and the shootout but they were still in harm's way. It made the decision easier. She aimed for Red's head and started firing. Sal wasn't sure whether it was her bullet or Collins's that got Red in the eye, in the mouth, but those were the ones that did it. Red's expression changed from determined, building into rage, to blank, and he dropped to the sidewalk, blood pouring out of his mouth. She imagined that the bullets she and Collins fired got in through the soft tissue that remained, but couldn't get out again. And they must have just ricocheted around in Red's skull, pureeing his brain. Maybe they were still moving around in there. Whatever the case, there were two attackers left. Blue raised her right hand, and a bolt of light shot out of it, toward Collins. He dodged, but it must have nicked him, because his jacket was now on fire. He dropped to a knee with his free hand, began pulling it off. Sal didn't waste any more time. She had three more bullets in her pistol, and she put them all into Blue, who apparently didn't have defenses like Red did. Sal aimed for the legs, trying to make her shots non-lethal, and succeeded. Blue dropped. Collins had his coat off, finally, and shot White four times, also in the legs. 
you're under arrest, Collins yelled, running over to cuff them. Blue and White looked at each other, and Blue nodded. White chanted out a series of syllables at the top of his lungs. His voice split into two voices, then four voices, a cacophony of voices that grew ragged as it rose in dissonant pitches. Blue screamed, too. They writhed and jerked on the pavement. Whatever White was doing was hurting them both a lot. In a final gargling shout, both attackers crumpled into themselves as if all the air had been expelled. Then, with a wet squelch, they turned inside out in a leaping slurry of intestine and disconnected muscle. Oh, God, Collins said. Sirens blared on the next block over. Someone, the escaping family, a neighbor, must have called. The fire engines took the corner behind them fast, and within minutes, the firefighters were dealing with the flames. The police were right behind them, the officers leaping out of their cars when they saw the carnage in the street. Collins flashed his badge. We need the coroner, he said. Three suspects down. I only see one, the lead officer said, then took a second look. Oh, he said. Collins nodded. Someone waved another magic wand, the officer said. Looks like, Collins said. I'll file my report. They stopped at a Salvadoran restaurant Collins swore was the best deal in the borough, ate papusas, and talked. So, tell me about what just happened, Collins said. Well, Manchu said, the magic they were using was small. Very small, Sal said. It almost seemed like they didn't quite know what they were doing. The woman shooting fireballs out of her hand seemed pretty competent to me. For most of the things I've seen since joining up with Manchu, Sal told him, a pistol wouldn't have worked. Like it almost didn't work on the first guy, Collins said. Kinda like that, Sal said. So you're telling me we're gonna need much bigger guns? Maybe, Sal said. But also that you might need to develop new tactics that don't rely on firepower. You mean like community policing, Collins said. Actually, maybe a little like that, Sal said. She caught Manchu's eye. He was looking at her again with approval, with pride. Doing a lot less of the talking than he had in the past, letting her do more. It felt good. We're getting ahead of ourselves, Collins said. We still have the Guatemalan community to talk to about Eduardo Zampop. But it seems to me that we're now dealing with people who aren't just targeting Zampop and the people who knew him. I'm pretty sure we just got attacked because whoever killed Zampop has been staking out his place, seeing who comes around to investigate. They're not afraid of us, they're targeting us. Which means we have a lot of people to warn, Manchu said. Right, Collins said. It also means someone might just come forward for protection, Sal said. Collins smiled. I hope so. Well, Sal said, let's get the word out. Two. The call came at 2.47 a.m. In the hotel room, Sal fumbled for her phone, picked it up. It was Collins. I thought you might not even be asleep, Collins said. Get a cup of coffee. We have our break. The precinct office was quiet. A board officer sat behind the bulletproof glass in the lobby, too tired to be friendly. We're here to see Collins, Sal explained. The officer shook her head. He does this shit all the time, waking people up in the middle of the night for something that could wait until morning. 
Hold on, I'll come get you. She got up and walked out of sight, then opened the door to Sal and Manchu's left. She ushered them down a long, narrow hallway of brick walls and fluorescent lights, motioned to her right. He's in here, the officer said. Have a nice night. Collins was sitting in one of the interrogation rooms with two young men and two young women who looked like they'd just come from a club. You got here quick, Collins said. These are some friends of Zampops who say they know something. He gestured toward a few empty chairs. Sal and Menchu took them. You wanna know who killed him, one of the young women said. One of the young men sniffed a small laugh of appreciation. Yeah, we might know. What's your name? Sal said. Myra? I'm Sal. I know who you are, Myra said. You're a book burner. They say you've changed sides, that you use magic now. Is that true? Who are they? Sal asked. I don't know, Myra said, walking it back. People talk? So tell me what you know, Myra, Sal said. I already told Detective Collins here, Myra said. Tell her again if you don't mind, Collins said. Ed thinks she needs to hear it from you. Besides, it'll help me get the statement right, said the other young man who was busy writing on a police form. Scott, Myra said. I'm serious, Scott said. Sal and Collins exchanged glances. They both knew how to read people like this. The four of them were laughing, screwing around a little, because they were nervous. They might not be able to give a clear story, but they wouldn't lie to the police either. All right, Myra said. Scott, Kells, Howard, and I, here Kells and Howard, who hadn't said a word, both gave little waves, have been dabbling in magic ever since London. Nothing serious, we've been keeping it under control. We've used it to freeze the water in a glass and ice. We floated some keys, that sort of thing. What have you been using to do this? Sal said. A book? Myra said. We got it from a friend. What kind of friend? Menchu asked. I was getting to that, Myra said. So far, the biggest thing to come out of our getting into magic has been meeting other people who were into magic, which was how we met Eduardo. Zampop, Sal said. Right, though we didn't know his last name. We just knew him as Eduardo, and we knew he was much better in magic than anyone we met so far. Like, way better, Scott said, as if he'd been doing it his whole life. He might have been, Menchu said. You saw his room? Myra said. We saw what was left of it, Sal said. Was the ceiling still open? Myra said. Yes. And was there anything above you? No, just space, a, a void. Myra took a deep breath. Her lip quivered. Then they're gone, she said. Who's gone? Myra looked at the table. Her eyes welled with tears that she fought back. It doesn't matter now, she said. Do they have to do with Eduardo's death? Sal said. No, Myra said. They had everything to do with Eduardo's life. I see, and you're not to tell us what you're talking about? Nope, Myra said, shaking her head. Scott took a break from writing to put a hand on Myra's shoulder. Keep going. Myra wiped the tears from her eyes. A lot of people were afraid of Eduardo because of what he could do. But we didn't see any reason to be afraid. Not if we approached him with respect. And he taught us things, said he'd help us learn how to use more magic. And what he was already showing us, we were ready, Scott said. Yeah, Myra said. 
We didn't know him very long, but he was so open with us, so generous. When the rumors started, what rumors, Manchu said. How much do you know about magic? Myra asked. Try us. Do you know about someone called a maitress? She was killed recently, Sal said. Yes, Myra said. After she was killed, there were rumors everywhere that her death was just the beginning. That someone was interested in taking over, and that meant anyone who knew more than they did about magic had to go. Meaning Eduardo. We were so worried about him. We told him all the time that he needed protection. He said he could protect himself. I shouldn't have believed him. Do you think there was anything you could have done? We'll never know, Myra said. But after he died, Scott started. He was still writing on the police form. Right, Myra said. After he died, we started an investigation ourselves. Asking around, seeing who might know something. Sounds familiar, Colin said. And it turned out someone not only said he did it, but he bragged about it. You know, took responsibility for the killing, claimed it. Like a terrorist, Sal said. Yeah, like a terrorist. This guy calls himself the Ranger. No idea what his real name is, but he said he'd received a mission and he'd carried it out. Like a mission from God? No, Myra said. More like a contract. Why would he brag about it like that? Is he stupid? I think it's more that he feels impervious. The balance of power in the world of magic is shifting. You know that, right? Myra said. Sal nodded. Myra continued. He thinks he's on the right side of it. And when magic really starts taking over, he's gonna end up on top or something close to it. What do you mean when magic starts taking over? Colin said. Sal looked at him. Later, she said. She turned back to Myra. He's marking his territory then. Something like that. And do you know where to find him? Myra nodded. Scott was close to the bottom of the page. Where, he said. Aren't the officers supposed to be asking the questions? Myra said. Come on, that's the last thing the statement needs. Anyone can see that. He's on the Lower East Side, Myra said. Pretty close to that vortex thing under the highway. Figures, Colin said. Can you give me an address? Howard reached into the pocket of his shirt, pulled out a small rolled up piece of paper, and handed it to Collins. You saw that question coming, didn't you? Collins said. Howard nodded. Collins turned back to Myra. Anything else you might want to add? Nothing I can think of. I guess we're done here then, Collins said. Thanks for coming in. You've been very helpful. So what happens now? Myra said. Well, Collins said, if you feel you need protection, we can offer that to you. But otherwise, my best advice is that you stay home and lie low for a bit. What about the ranger? He's officially part of our investigation now, which means you should steer clear of him. Myra fell silent. All four of Eduardo's apprentices, Sal realized that was the right word for them, stared at Collins if they weren't happy. Look, Collins said, we all want justice to be done here. We're all on the same team. But this isn't West Side Story where your gang goes against their gang, okay? You did the right thing by coming to the police with this. We can handle it from here. Can you? Myra said. Do you have your own magic squad now? Collins laughed. Everyone keeps calling it that. We have what we need. We're talking about a man who say they can turn bullets into steam, Scott said. Hopefully it won't come down to bullets, Collins said. Don't bet on it, Myra said. The ranger isn't much of a talker. His Miranda rights will suit him just fine then, Collins said. Thank you again. Do you know your way out? We can find it. 
Myra said. Collins waited until he heard their footsteps around the corner, then he shut the reinforced door to the hallway. Yes, we have a house call to make, he said to Sal and then Chew. You are listening to Book Burners, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Book Burners is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Margaret Dunlap, Murr Lafferty, Andrea Phillips, and Brian Francis Slattery. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Performed by XE Sands. Audio production by Amanda Rose Smith, with additional editing by Corey Barton. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi, featuring Jody Redditch Ferber and mixed by Justin Morrell. Cover art by Annie Wu. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Find more shows like Book Burners by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.